Welcome to CFO Insights. I'm Guy Hutchinson, one of the startup CFO group founders and the host of this podcast. In this episode, we're having a conversation with Gabriel Huntley and Rob Walker from Headland, the leading agency for financial and corporate communications. We learned why a communications advisor should be the first of the IPO-centric advisors you appoint. We talked through the task of building a media profile for the CFO and the implications of releasing four-year results and ESG well ahead of any IPO date. Rob and Gabriel share key learnings on corporate communications and how competency in business as you narratives supports dealing with the types of leaks and speculation you might get when you're listed. Introducing our new podcast sponsor, Vatisse, founded in the UK by UK serial entrepreneurs and brothers, Eldar and Roy Tuvi. Vatisse is a technology company designed to help startups manage their SaaS spend. To find out how to streamline your renewals, get visibility on your tech stack, and most importantly, cut your total SaaS spend by 20 to 30%, visit vatisse.one. Or if you're a startup CFO member, drop me a message in Slack, and I'll be happy to make the introduction. Rob and Gabriel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to have you on. This world of um, corporate communications is often quite new to tech CFOs. I'm quite intrigued to understand uh, how how your world often integrates with the world of these tech businesses. Thanks, Guy. Yeah, great to be here. Um, so where to start, right? Like, how, how do we shape this for tech CFOs that might not have done a listing or been experienced in you know, the world of PSO? Where does this start? Well, I think, you know, the first place to, to look at is, you know, just set the tone, I guess, in terms of market context. Um, you know, I think it's, it's sort of fairly well trailed that there's no expectation that the UK IPO market is going to sort of rebound um, anytime soon. But hopefully um, we can sort of give a bit of a sense of some of those kind of corporate um, communications objectives that you might be looking to meet if you were as a business looking to IPO in the future. You know, we could be talking two years down the line, three mm. years down the line, four years down the line, um, and what role you play and sort of questions you ask as a CFO um, if you're looking at that process. Yeah, and what what are the things that you might be thinking of when it's two years away, maybe three years away? What, what type of things might a CFO start to think about now that helps them to prepare for that? Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the first ones is in terms of resourcing. Um, so, you know, have you got the right size team to support you? Um, and your ambitions, if you're looking to potentially do a capital markets event like um, uh, like an IPO. So, for example, when you do look at that sort of process, it's particularly helpful, certainly in our experience, to have a project manager who's working alongside you. Now, eventually that role might become a head of investor relations role. Um, probably not the sort of thing that you want to market as an investor relations role at this point because it becomes quite clear what your intentions might be with regards an IPO mm, um, to the media, yeah. etc. That has happened before um, to businesses. Um, but yeah, it's just made, also making sure that you've kind of got those internal processes in place too. So are you, for example, fostering a culture of, of data verification? We can come mm. to it later, but in an IPO process, having accurate, verified information about the business that's not misleading is really critical and actually if you can foster that culture ahead of time mm. that puts you in a much better place 
come the point of IPO preparation when your ambitions might be a little bit clearer and defined as to the sort of path you want to be taking? So the way that I would see that is a lot of CFOs would see the bits where they build that culture so they, they really know their numbers. You would do that in any great business, whether it was private or public. But the bit that I think is probably quite challenging for some CFOs is the building of the public profile. I mean, how would you help a CFO to figure out if that's really what they want for themselves and for their career? Yeah, well, I, I think inevitably, as a CFO of a business that's looking to go, go through this process, there's going to be more public profile for you as an mm. individual, and you're going to have to be kind of comfortable with that up to a point. Uh, you know, if you get to the point of listed life, you're going to need to be ready to kind of give presentations and be really comfortable meeting investors and that kind of thing. Um, but I, th I guess I think about it a bit more in terms of the business as well and thinking about the business's objectives, kind of what where, where the business's profile is going. Um, and you know, have you been very, very focused on, for example, customer acquisition? Have you been very focused on employer branding? And I think when you're looking um, at this kind of process, you need to be thinking on a slightly kind of broader plane, I suppose, where mm. it's about actually establishing kind of what the business is about, kind of what your proposition is, uh, and kind of defining that in a really clear way. Um, and I think often startups and scale-ups haven't really necessarily had to think in that kind of bigger way um, uh, up to the point of reaching, of, of, of getting to this point. And another thing that you can do as well now is actually looking ahead to, if you were to look at an IPO in, say, hypothetically three years' time, what is the equity story, as it were? What is the investment case that you want to have as a business three years down the line? What are you working towards? Okay, you know, that might change a little bit over time, but fundamentally, what are you working towards? And then look back at what are the sorts of KPIs that you have within the business that you might want to put out publicly that you want to introduce and be uh, viewed against and you yeah. want to report maybe regularly against. Again, these things might change over time, but having a better understanding, a clear understanding of how you want your business to be judged on obviously financial metrics, but also non-financial metrics, you know, there might just be an MPS score, whatever it might be, how do you want to be judged some of those alternative metrics is really important to start thinking about that process quite early on. Yeah, and that's partly improving the narrative as it would fall on ears outside of your boardroom. So you've probably had a period of time with the CFO's been in situ and the audience of the CFO has been the board and probably not, not too many other audiences by the odd fundraise. So this, this narrative building, this focus on the key metrics, this is partly to sort of get ready for the bigger story when the audience is, is the public and the public funds. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's certain investors, certainly in the, in the public markets, are also you know, very used to seeing certain disclosures. Mm. Um, as you say, you know, I'm sure many of these will be a feature of, of regular board meetings, but some might not be. But you know, um, having a look at how others, um, particularly listed peers, how they report and some of the sort of you know the KPIs that they might be using, you know, so what goes into their adjusted EBITDA number, etc. Um, having a sight of those things ahead of time and getting used to potentially reporting in a similar fashion to them is certainly worthwhile. So that again, you're coming into this almost acting like a listed business. Again, we can yeah. come on to some of that later, but the more you can do that ahead of time, the better prepared you will eventually be. I think there's also a point there, um, building on what you were saying, Guy, around having bigger audiences and having to deal with a wider range of stakeholders that as the CFO going through this process, you, you kind of need to be prepared to 
um, work with a much wider range of advisors. Obviously, that would include kind of communications professionals like ourselves, but also a much bigger role for lawyers. And of course, you know, further on down the line, the banks um, that are leading the process too. Uh, and I think one of the kind of questions to think about really early on is what kind of level of involvement do you want to have personally? Kind of, do you want to kind of have just visibility or do you actually want to be kind of involved day to day in the process? I think there's no one right answer to that. It will depend on kind of your role in the business and kind of how the, you know, the scale and size of the business too. Um, but I think it is kind of right to at least consider that um, early. So you kind of once once the kind of level of advice and the level of kind of stakeholders you're dealing with ramps up, you kind of know kind of where you want to be positioned in that. Because as a CFO, you play quite a pivotal role across all these advisors. You're probably the one person who kind of can really see what's going on across all of them. Um, so I think that's something that in, in terms of the processes I've been involved in that I've definitely kind of seen um, firsthand. Yeah, very interesting. Because actually when we first encountered Headland, uh, we had a talk for the IPO readiness group from Dan and Roche. One of the things that, that, that we learned about in that that hadn't occurred to me before is that, that there's this interesting window where you can take a great business and maybe you're not ready to go and list yet. That might be one, two, three years away. But you can start to act like a listed business and start to allow the CEO and CFO, because they're going to be driving this, to, to give them the remit to start to reshape some of these things and start to get the organization to behave in these manners and to give them time to learn and grow. And uh, that was an interesting thing. And I'm interested to learn more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe if we kind of start um, in terms of the timeline and kind of where you would begin that process. And I think mm. it's fair to say that there's almost no time that's too early to start thinking about okay. it. I mean, Rob, you mentioned earlier kind of two to three years, and that kind yeah. of sounds sounds broadly broadly right. Um, but obviously a lot of, a lot of people and, you know, processes we've been involved in, people do leave it kind of a lot later and have to kind of work backwards to kind of get some of these elements in place. But the, the, the really important elements of kind of laying that groundwork, I think one of them is this kind of corporate narrative piece, essentially how you talk about yourself as a business. And that should really tie closely with the equity story you want to build in a couple of years. Um, and the, the sort of slight difference is you need to start talking about what, you know, what differentiates you, kind of also who your comparators as a business. I think for a lot of the tech firms that I work with, they find the idea of comparators really challenging because mm -hmm. they mostly think of themselves as unique and in many ways they are. I think the challenge with that is that if, if you say that to the market, then the market will just kind of go to the lowest common denominator and you kind of take away any control of like who your comparators are. So I think you need to, as the CFO, kind of be quite hard-headed and kind of get really comfortable with, with looking at kind of listed businesses that are a bit like yourself and, and sort of latching onto them and saying, well, we're like them in this, this and that way, because otherwise kind of the investors who come to look at you further down the line will do that for you. Yeah, and I think you have to be really careful when building that narrative to to really, really crystallize what are your differentiating factors as well, the elements, you know, your business model that really genuinely make your business unique. You know, one of the things I hear a lot of is we are a platform business or our technology is better than everyone else's. And it it can, I think, be quite hard to believe that if you're an investor and you've heard that pitch from a lot of different businesses. Yeah. And so actually sometimes there is that, you know, dose of, of, of pragmatism and realism needed in those, you know, communications to say, actually, are you truly a platform business fundamentally? You know, what is it about your platform that actually enables you to, to scale? You know, people talk about scalability. And having 
you know, it might be like, might be the case, but you really do need the evidence points and the proof points to show that that, that is the case. It can back up your eventually what might become your investment case if you do take it to market. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, Dan. So, so it's almost like the CFO has to look at this business that, that's probably been through three, four, five venture rounds where there's a lot of hyperbole. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, boasting and exaggeration and a real emphasis on being disruptive, having differentiators. And then you're coming into this window where you're preparing to IPO or to have the opportunity to, and you have to, to, to go back on some of that stuff and say, well, maybe we want to sound a bit like this business. We want to have the same fundamentals as a business that listed 10 years ago, but that's a great business with a great valuation. We'd like to have a great valuation. And you just need to dilute some of the exciting differentiators so that the audience can get their head around what you are and hopefully give you an appropriate share price at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, look, I've worked with kind of tech companies, both from kind of early stage startups to growth businesses to, to listed companies. And I think that hype piece and that sort of sense of belief mm. and, you know, that sort of founder mentality, if you like, is, you know, is really important and really valuable, particularly in those early stages. Um, there is definitely, however, as you say, Guy, kind of a shift where actually, particularly as a CFO, you kind of need to be the voice of reason in the room um, because you know, there's one process that, that we were involved with where the company really kind of valued certain metrics that you know, were really important to them about how the community that they served and the sort of small, the kind of niche market that they served, that they had a lot of kind of brand equity there. That was great, but to the investment community, that really didn't matter. And that wasn't seen as that important. So they had to kind of, um, be quite humble, really, in terms of rethinking how they valued and communicated what, what they did. Um, and, and I think that sort of shift from scale up hype to kind of market discipline can, can be quite a challenging one, particularly when you've got a workforce uh, and sort of perhaps an internal culture that is very, very bought into that vision of kind of growth and differentiation. Um, I think just on the internal piece as well, well, one thing worth bearing in mind, and I think this is, again, something that the CFOs often end up spending a lot of time on, is that for many of these businesses, staff have been incentivized through share options. Um, so that a lot of people within the business have, have a vested interest in the process and, very, you know, and are keen to kind of understand what, what's kind of going on with it. So that's another sort of element that I think is really important to build in early on because again if you try and re reverse engineer the sort of internal comms piece later it does become quite challenging and if you were to so, so a lot of our listenership they're tech CFOs they're probably you know members of startup CFO uh, and probably think at this point okay so I need a, a great communications agency to help me in this pre-IPO window to help me start to build this narrative and I've got to think about other listed businesses that, that look a bit like we look and think about their metrics and what's worked for them and what's not worked for them in terms of the markets uh, what else might be on that list of the things that they should be championing in that two three year window before a prospective listing day yeah I mean look another thing that you might want to consider is um publication of the full year results and I, I say that in the full knowledge that certainly if you're you know a business um of the requisite scale in the uk you'll be filing at a company's house so if you are a consumer facing business you might already be getting media interest on on those filings already but quite often you may not but actually starting to get into the habit and using financial results on a full year basis maybe also a half yearly basis to create moments in the media and start to tell your story um, is really um, it's really helpful. And 
up top, I think it was mentioned, you know, we talk about BAU comms and actually why it's really important to start raising your profile in those two years preceding an IPO mm. before you start to, to really launch the process. And when I say launch the process, I mean hire advisors to start looking at, at, at potential options yeah. in the process. Um, it's really important to start doing all you can in terms of getting more corporate news flow out there on the things you want to talk about, the points of differentiation, as we discussed earlier, the things you want to be known for. And the main reason I say that is that as soon as you do start to hire advisors, certainly legal advisors, you then become subject to publicity guidelines. And these are legal restrictions on what you can and can't say in relating to an offer which may happen in the future i.e the ipo um so you know you need to be again really careful about what you say publicly at that point in terms of financial forecasts in terms of um any information obviously has to be absolutely verifiable and say mislead it shouldn't be misleading you know it needs to be accurate and so it becomes quite difficult at that point to start doing things that you haven't done before i.e if you can show that your business as usual communications are consistent communication, lots of corporate news flow, we do financial results. You can continue doing those during the period where publicity guidelines are effective. But if you don't do them, then it becomes very difficult to start doing them when publicity guidelines are in effect and actually you want your name to be out there potentially building profile ahead of an IPO. And I think that's why it's really important for the CFO to work with the internal Oh, sorry, with the communications team within the business. Yeah. Um, and if possible, to kind of bring them into the loop, or at least to bring the communications lead into the loop as early as you can. Um, because it really depends on the company. Many company, many early stage companies do this like business as usual corporate communications really well, but some some don't. Um, and there's a lot of kind of fundamentals involved there in terms of like building a media list, understanding which journalists might be interested in you. Um, reaching out to those journalists, building relationships with them, kind of you know, announcing really significant corporate milestones, big hires, or kind of yeah, could, could be results, or it could be sort of if you're doing thought leadership or kind of white papers on, on kind of areas relevant to your business, but that are newsworthy too. All that stuff really can't just be switched on overnight. Um, so I think it, it, it really pays to kind of start that work early, identify any areas of capacity that need to be built up so that that kind of BAU, BAU comms or the kind of drumbeat of news, as we call it often, can, can be really up and running and establish that BAU before, before the process starts. So I think a lot of CFOs and private businesses are thinking about the, the journalists as a thing that you react to. You're just waiting for there to be a journalistic problem, as it were, right? or, or maybe some news, who knows. But it sounds like actually this is, this is an opportunity. If you know who should be or would be interested in your story and the kind of things they like to run with, there's there's something to be shaped there. It can be an ongoing positive affirmation for the business. Absolutely. And particularly in that earlier stage, before you know, before the rumor mill starts about the IPO, it's much, much easier to communicate at that time. Mm. You, know, you still have a lot of latitude and you're not gonna necessarily face so many difficult questions. And I think the thing there is to really alight upon those sort of areas of thought leadership. And again, it can't can't be all self-serving you kind of need to, to find areas that you're in it's kind of that vendor diagram isn't it like things that you're interested in and that are relevant to your business that are also interesting that the journalists are interested in and say something about the world so is your business a um 
almost like a bellwether for a specific sector. Are you kind of an e-commerce business and have something to say about the, the changing trends of how people buy online, all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, work, you know, the CFO will certainly have a view on that and the kind of communications team will too. Um, I think a lot of that work is, is you know, generally led by the kind of the CEO or founder, but I think the CFO should be really kind of placed within that too, so that to, just to make sure that to the point that was made earlier, it all kind of ladders up to that equity story you want to build and that you're using the right proof points there as well. Yeah, that is fascinating, Gabriel. And I guess the other side of the coin is that the journalists quite like to throw a spanner in the works if they get a sniff that something's not quite as it should be. Like, how does that work and how does the CFO have the ability to lead on a comms advisor when, when things of that ilk that? Yeah, managing scrutiny is, is absolutely key. And I think that particularly as you get closer to the firing gun on, on a process. So, you know, w what I would say is that as soon as you start to look at hiring advisors, that is where the risk of a leak of your potential plans becomes very real. And actually having a leak strategy in place ahead of that point is really key. And, you know, sort of talking our own book, but that's why quite often you want to be hiring um, financial corporate PR advisors ahead of that point so that you're prepped and ready because actually quite often um, in processes you might see the legal advisors and, and the bankers hired ahead of PRs but actually the leak happens somewhere sort of in, in the middle and actually companies feel a little bit on the back foot before that happens but you know the more people that are aware that there's a process and that you might be looking at strategic options you know there's a lot of interest in that particularly obviously in the UK media particularly if we look sort of further ahead if you're expecting like some people are that actually IPOs might pick up but maybe towards the back end of next year or who's going to make the first move you know actually there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and pressure on, on those companies mm -hmm. and lots of eyes on them you know from the Financial Times all across the media as to how that will go how that process will run yeah and I think one thing I'd say on that it's always so tempting again going back to that point about you know the sort of growth story and what makes companies different and what makes them unique it's really tempting as the founder or as the um you know as a, you know, as a senior um senior executive at a business to like want to put out your like top valuation figure you know, we are hoping to you know to, to, to IPO for three billion or to, to to allow those figures to get out there and that's that urge is really understandable, but it's absolutely opposite of what you should do because it's a huge hostage to fortune. And once that's out there, it's it's out there. And it's very very hard for that to come back. And you know, as we saw over the last couple of years, markets change, and then uh, you know, that's the sort of expectation. Anything short of that, in terms of the IPO price, is then seen as a kind of real disappointment and sets your you know sets you up in the exactly the wrong way. For your for starting listed life, so I think that's something else that that's kind of really important to consider that that piece around maintaining optionality. Don't allow speculation to sort of run run rife and and sort of resist the urge to kind of to hype up your business at that point because it can have real lasting damage, and that's something we've seen a lot of times. Yeah, and processes are very complicated, aren't they? They can take a lot of different turns. So yeah, picking up on that point, maintaining optionality is the most important thing at that stage. And by the way, this could happen years out as well right i mean lots of businesses that are doing very well a startup <coughs> stage you know will be asked about whether they will seek an ipo at some point you know it's one of those where don't rule it out but don't say that you are committed to doing it on a particular time frame because you know what if you don't meet that then people start to look at why 
that's the case. And yeah. actually, maybe you tried it, but there wasn't investor interest or whatever it might be. And equally, don't rule out any other options like a trade sale or, you know, a PE sale. Um, keep the options open. And so a lot of that, the cons, as, as Gabriel said at this point, is just trying to make sure that you don't get boxed in and don't create any hostages to fortune. Mm, interesting. So the way that finance people think about these things, when we talk about the potential for leaks, for example, a finance person will think, oh, well, we should just make sure that there's no leaks. Although it sounds like, as commerce professionals, you're implying actually you can't control everything. There's lots of advisors, things will leak, and it's better to have a strategy in place to be able to manage those situations rather than to pretend you could ever stop them completely. Yeah, I look, I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, you quite often hear, how can we kill this story? Mm. I mean, look, sometimes you can, in inverted commas, kill a story because actually the journalist might be going on a fishing expedition. It might be more of a, a loose inquiry. However, if there is something substantive, i.e. the journalist knows that you're running a beauty parade on, um, on for bankers, you know, potentially advise you on an IPO and that, that is justified, well backed up, well sourced, it's going to be very difficult to stop that story running if the journalist is confident in their sources. Now, you can test those sources, but fundamentally, it's not a case of stopping the story. It's actually just trying to control the story as much as possible um, and make sure that, you know, when that speculation comes out, it's as well managed and, you know, you get your messages out there as, as well as you can. You, might, you may well decline to comment, but actually, again, what can your advisors do to help you sort of um, get the piece in the right shape um, in terms of, you know, briefing on a background basis, for example. Mm, yeah, very interesting. And then what what other things need to be on that CFO's list, right? So so on top of these strategies, what, what other things are they working through in this time window? One thing I'd say is being prepared to make a whole range of different kind of disclosures and ones that you haven't even thought about. So there's one business that we were working with um, that operated globally, um, a technology platform. And... Something that they they'd actually never considered because they weren't based in the U.S. was kind of whether was the U.S. sanctions regime. But obviously, if you're looking to kind of attract U.S. investors, that's something that's really really important. So, so, so frankly, quite late in the process, they had to kind of make sure that they were following um, following those rules and had kind of policies and procedures in place around it. Um, and so, I think there's there's definitely some stress testing really early on, and probably working with a rate that, that the kind of legal and comms advisors and others to understand what those disclosures are because it's the kind of unknown unknowns that are going to be the bumps in the road and so i suppose being ready to to kind of um, deal with those when they come up um, i think also that like getting ahead of those any issues you might face is it can be really important too i mean we saw this with uber actually ahead of their ipo they published a safety report which really sort of lifted the lid on um you know, when there have been issues with their platform in the past or where, you know, there have been kind of criminality or they've had to kind of kick drivers off the platform and so on. So really kind of facing into that. Obviously, the, the sort of human reaction or the human sort of um, uh, assumption, I guess, is that you might kind of not want to talk about that stuff. Mm. But I think actually it's going to come out in an IPO process anyway in some form. We're going to be asked about it by a journalist or by an investor. So it's better to kind of be really transparent and to kind of have a plan in place for dealing with any kind of barnacles on the boat, as it were, mm. um, uh, early on. I think also ESG as well. Lots and lots of firms are now being really proactive about this. Um, I think Oatly's um, IPO is a great example of that, kind of putting out a, uh, 
a sort of sustainability impact report kind of really early on and making that kind of a big feature. But equally, there are pitfalls and you've got to kind of do that well. And there are definitely examples of people who try to make sustainability a big part of the pitch and that's kind of um, fallen away. But again, thinking about that early and trying to kind of um, be transparent and bring that information all together in one place um, is definitely the right approach there. Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting because we have some growth stage CFOs doing ESG reporting. And the reason that they're doing it is actually because it's very powerful for their employees, that there's a real belief among the employee base that, that the business should be doing those things. And so they're doing them actually many years ahead of listing. In fact, they, they may never list, but they feel it's the right thing. The bit about the barnacles on the boat, I think that is very interesting because it sounds like as a CFO, you, you might be aware that there are some, some, some things in the business that are not at all ideal, but maybe there's an opportunity to, to to own those things a bit more and be prepared for the disclosures that will come. Yeah, but I think at the same time, you, you know, you shouldn't sort of go too far. You've got mm. to find the, the appropriate level because the key thing is the prospector stage, if you do go at an IPO, at that point, that is a very highly regulated document yeah. which outlines, as, as I'm sure your audience knows, lots of risks about the business. And actually, we've seen a lot of businesses come unstuck at that stage because that's when the journalists love combing through the you know, 100 pages or whatever of prospectus to try and find the business risks, etc. Mm. Um, and actually, if you've gone too hard into, you know, just for example, ESG and your credentials in that space that actually suddenly come unstuck at prospectus stage, it can really become the focal point of certainly immediate attention. And we've seen that with some IPOs that, that have happened. So it's just finding that right level and that right balance. And, and hopefully that your team of advisors will, will help you to navigate that in the appropriate way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and and so what 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 else is on that list, right? It, it, like the, the thing that we're conscious of, huge change in the CFO's job, a whole bunch of things coming up very quickly that are quite 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 novel. Like other examples of things where like things the CFO mustn't miss, things that are common pitfalls that that, that, that you might have seen errors in and are worth flagging. Well, I think one thing to, to think about, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but is that thing around the CFO having a profile? Historically, CFOs haven't had a huge profile outside the sort of calendar moments of being a listed company, let's say. Um, but increasingly, and again, with a lot of the companies I work with in the tech space, you, know, you are seeing the CFO role sometimes combined with COO as well, um, and uh, being a bit of a bigger role. Uh, and also, I think there is a bit more of an expectation now that the CFO will be a kind of publicly facing, public facing figure, and you know will often be sort of side by side with the CEO or founder um, as well. I guess it, again, it partly depends on the dynamics. Was that person hired in? Were they part of the founding team? Were they hired in kind of before the IPO to kind of to to lead that? So I think it, the kind of profile that you'll want as a CFO will really depend on personal preferences and on those dynamics but I think having no profile at all uh, is not really an option yeah and, you know people want to see a strong management team strong experienced management team so actually just having the CEO out there okay you know look that's where the focus will be and certainly from a media perspective but in terms of that you know investor analyst audience you know you need to be showing the bench strength across the management team and actually obviously the CFO should be absolutely integral part of that, frankly. I think that's particularly true, by the way, in founder-led businesses, where often the sort of in the early stages, the business and the founder have been a bit or founded founders have been quite inseparable. Um, so I think in that in that scenario, that the sort of CFO 
voice is, 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 is even more important. Is that because of the credibility, the, 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 the view that the CFO is perhaps the straight guy, like really um, a purist around the numbers uh, and likely to be a counterbalance for CEOs that can be evangelical? There's a lot of Silicon Valley examples where um, it's very clear a counterbalance is necessary. Uh, is that how the markets are seeing? Is, is that part of the communications that the CEO can be more of the um, talking about the future and building excitement, but the CFO is like really the purest about the same metrics, the same structure, keeping it like like keeping things really stable and solid. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. I think the only thing I'd add is that actually, you know, one of the pieces of work that we do with lots of CFOs as well is actually, you know, we do leadership and media coaching. Actually, how can you? start to to sort of you know within that you might have that role which is a bit more like a CRO role as well or you mm. might also be accountable for ESG etc but you know when you are speaking to investors speaking to analysts or speaking to the media even you know can you essentially talk the numbers but also give that strategic context on top of it and you know some people that's very natural for them but some people it's less natural so there is a balance obviously absolutely investors want to know that this person is credible trustworthy confident behind the numbers um, and actually I think presentational skills do count for a lot in that sense yeah. and and actually you know the stuff that we do a lot of it's clearly very media facing and actually it's kind of no different to being in front of an investor or you know a table full of analysts that you might be doing your first look presentation put towards um, ahead of an IPO so presentational element that kind of softer side is is really important trying to be able to get that strategic context behind the numbers why you know your adjusted EBITDA is up 25% year on year why that matters why that relates how that relates to your strategy etc is is really important there's another element here which we haven't touched on massively yet but around governance particularly in this sort of stage once you've got the fundamentals in place um, establishing the right uh, governance structures and often that will mean kind of building out the board hiring a new chair um, and yeah, again, the, you know, the kind of businesses that we're talking about often have had kind of quite limited government governance arrangements in the kind of earlier stages of their, their growth and development. Um, so I think that can be really important. And it can also, it can be an important signal, but in two ways. And firstly, signal to investors and, you know, that piece about kind of reining in founders and kind of be, being sensible. I think that, that that can kind of do a lot. The kind of building up the governance piece can, can, can be an important signal there as well as a kind of CFO figure uh, playing that role. Um, but also it does signal something to the market. So often when companies do make these big hires, as we've seen it with Revolut and, and many others, um, that, that it almost is a signal to the market that you're you're on that kind of journey to IPO and it can kind of ramp up speculation and can, can sometimes produce um, communications challenges of its own because then those individuals are almost seen as spokespeople for the company and you know, perhaps haven't necessarily been used to kind of doing that that, um, that before or working in those kind of high growth environments. Um, but you know, with good governance is, is so important and it's something that, you know, again, we we saw, I think, a, a, a bit with some of the, some of the IPOs um, over the last couple of years, you know, with with the Hut Group, for example, that was something where they faced some challenges, and you know, I think we we um, probably saw that with Deliveroo as well. Again, we can sort of go into lots of different issues with that, but I think it did um, highlight the importance of governance, and and you know, again, as something that can be kind of addressed hopefully early on, and hopefully not in a in a way that doesn't kind of raise speculation too much. So it sounds like there's maybe three takeaways that 
CFOs might be thinking about. So you've got a piece which is about presentation skills and about the, the degree to which they can improve those skills and really want to be presenting all day, some days. There's a second piece which is governance and that perhaps links to selecting the chairman. So you might get involved in helping to select the right chairman for your listing and that person will be probably backing your corner in terms of governance and that's a great support because the governance piece is often parked with the CFO. And then finally there's this building the narrative which is a kind of storytelling. I mean, how how could our members best prepare in those three areas? Yeah, I think those are three good sort of takeaways really. I think on the first one in terms of those there's presentational skills and you know you mentioned sort of you know being on your feet for you know the whole day etc i mean the reality is it's a really intensive process um, going through an ipo and um you know it's not something that anyone takes you know lightheartedly um moreover once you even get past the sort of point of a successful ipo listed life starts and actually you find yourself really at the starting line of, of another treadmill um but a very rewarding one at that but yeah so in terms of the presentation skills like it is really important side of things to, to bring that context, to bring that understanding to the numbers um, that you might be, you know, talking through your for your results and say, you know, talking about strategic direction of the business. Um, as Gabriel sort of touched on earlier, particularly when your role is actually ostensibly a bit wider than a pure CFO a CFO role that you might have um, responsibility for more strategy operations or even an ESG, you know, it's really important to be able to, to talk to that strategic context um, very articulately. And yeah, on the storytelling point, uh, I think you need to be prepared to almost reset the narrative of your, of your business a bit. There's probably a narrative that has served really well for uh, the growth stage for customer acquisition, for potentially for employer branding as well, and for, for also for, for kind of securing those earlier investment rounds, uh, often by VCs. But that narrative won't necessarily, and those kind of proof points won't necessarily be the same ones that you'll want to use kind of with prospective investors for for an, for an IPO. So I think there's there's an element of like humility there of that of sort of being able to sort of let go of some of what's got you to to the business to that point. Um, and also you know, developing your sort of honing your storytelling skills. Um, and, I, and I think for all the reasons we've talked about, the CFO really needs to be part of that process because frankly, the numbers are such an important part of the, the investment case. Um, and yeah, making, making a case to uh, you know, institutional investors is a very different thing to making a case to uh, VCs. Um, and uh, you know, there, there are also other factors you need to bear in mind kind of around what's going on at that particular moment. So there's one example of a company that, that IPO'd a couple of years ago, uh, I think about 18 months ago, and got this, got this right called Auction Technologies Group. And there was, at that time, it was just a bit post-COVID, and there was sort of a potential concern around, is this just kind of one of these COVID tailwind companies that have been really kind of boosted by you know, what's happened recently, but the fundamentals aren't in place. And they right. address that really well in terms of the KPIs they picked, the kind of story they developed. So you need to be prepared to both like renew and kind of refit your story, but also to adapt it to the kind of circumstances of the time that you're operating in as well. Yeah. And I guess a final thought on that is that look, you might not be considering a capital event anytime soon, but if it's something that you might be looking at for two, three years time, four years time, Try and think ahead of what might your equity story or investment case look like at that point. 
in time, where you want to go, and how do you start addressing and creating that story now, showing those proof points in your corporate news flow, throughout the KPIs you might be putting forward in public, what can you do now to start showing your progress towards that investment case? Yeah, 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 that makes a huge amount of sense. And then the final point, chairman and governance. If if CFOs are looking to get a chairman, that'd be a great person to be the chair of a listed business and you're hunting that profile, what are the things that you should be looking for? I'd say on that, I think it really depends on what the job is. Um, there are some businesses where it is very much a kind of barnacles off the boat job. Uh, and, you know, they may have faced kind of periods of uh, reputational pressure and, um, and and feel that kind of they need to um, kind of reset a bit there. I mean, I suppose you know, Revolut could, could, could be an example of that. Um, and, I, and so I think there, there is the kind of glare of sort of scrutiny and publicity so i think it has to be handled even more even more carefully um but there's, there's a slightly different job of a kind of business that's kind of been growing steadily but needs kind of more outside voices uh, and i think there's a slightly different um re requirements um but I, but I think there is a really important interplay there in the relationship particularly in founder-led businesses in, in kind of the relationship between the board the chair the CFO and 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 the founder, and almost having um, uh, having a counterbalance to kind of some of some of the um, some of what we talked about earlier in terms of hype and kind of wanting to kind of push for the highest possible valuation, and so mm. on. So, I, um, yeah, I think it will depend on where the business is, but you know, it's amazing how actually, again, this is something that is often left quite late and. Um, I think again, there's no time. There's, there's no point really when it's too early to start thinking about this and kind of bringing other voices onto the onto the board. The other piece, I suppose, is just that you know, we haven't talked about hugely, but the relationship with existing investors. That obviously they are a really important part of this whole piece. Some of them are more passive. Some of them are very very active, and will take a you know, particularly if they have a very large stake, will take a very very kind of active, involved role in the whole process. So they're a really important um, stakeholder to keep on side throughout this and to be really aligned with it at an early stage. Mm, so it sounds like have a good look at the founder, think about where they're strong, where there might be some challenges, have a look at the type of business you've got and start the dialogue with your main investors and assume they're going to have a big say in it as well. And uh, that, that, that should help you just get the profile down as to who the chairman perhaps would be. Sounds absolutely right to me. Gentlemen, it's been great to have you both on the podcast. Thank you very much, Rob Walker and Gabriel Huntley from Headland Communications Consultancy. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, Vatisse, the smarter way to save on your SaaS spend with a money-back guarantee. It's been a fascinating discussion with Rob and Gabriel delivering some remarkable insight on building a corporate narrative that the markets will understand, working with a wider range of advisors and the critical items a CFO might seek to jump on a few years ahead of a listing. And of course, don't forget those pesky journalists can be deployed as part of this communications plan. It's not just a case of engaging with them when there's a bump in the road. If you're a tech CFO and you want to join the group, go to startupcfo.tech and apply. It's a great forum to discuss challenges with your peers and perhaps join in some of our in-person meetups now running in London, Amsterdam and Madrid.